Proverbs 13, verse 12. Oh, one of Robertson's favorite proverbs. I love saying that because every time I, I find something that catches my fancy, it'll be my favorite one. So I've got about 250 favorite ones. Proverbs 13, verse 12. Hope deferred. Hey, I want that amplified, by the way. You got that up here? I forgot my Amplified Bible. Can you put that in Amplified? Well, it is the same? Okay. Hope deferred. Well, anyway, the rest of them put in the Amplified. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when desire cometh, it is a tree of life. You may be seated. Hope is expectation of something desired. If the thing you desire is not obtained in a in the time or in a timely fashion, time expected, whatever, your heart and your soul are grieved and pained by this delay. But when the desired thing finally arrives, it is a tree of life to your heart and soul, and you are encouraged and you are revived as a result of this. Now, these two aspects of hope are true in all matters, both spiritual and natural. These two things run together, spiritual and natural. It's the same equation. Hope can be a pleasant thought. And if you're confident of your desires being fulfilled on time, it is pleasant. When you're thinking of that, that thing that is about to happen, you know, you, you, your, your, your desire, your hope, it's, it's a pleasant. You dwell on that. Uh, you know, this, this new, this new uh, this child's about to arrive, or you're about to get married, and, and before you're married any length of time, you're, it's, it's a hopeful thought and a great expectation until you get married, then you realize what a terror it really is. But then, the, well, it's just, I'm just being truthful. You know, I always try to be truthful up here as much as I can. So it's a pleasant thought until the desired thing comes according to what the desired thing is. Desired thing sometimes is not always what you, de- you, you thought you desired. But regardless, you know, it's the hope that really matters. It's hoping for something and and. and it's like a new toy of any kind that you get. It's always nice when you first get it, but after you've had it a while, you realize that it's just another thing that you have to deal with or gets broken or whatever it may be. It can also be a painful reminder if you are disappointed with delays or, or difficulties in obtaining your desires. And hunger is a comparable thing. Uh, hunger, it, it makes food delightful if, if you're hungry, when you eat on time, of course. You know, if it's time to eat at 4 o'clock and, and you come home and at 4 o'clock it's not there, then all of a sudden it's torment because you expected to eat at this particular time. I used to have men working for me, and boy, when it came time for for lunch, you know, that was, you, you had to stop whatever it was. If you're in the middle of turning a, a, a wrench, you dropped the wrench and you went to eat. I never have understood that. You've heard me say it before, and I never, I'm very real with this. I prefer getting it all done by noon than going home. That's just the way it should be. That's the way I'll get a certain amount done, go home. You know, don't eat, don't take breaks, don't do anything. Just get her done. That's the best way to be. 
Guess what, God? That's Bible. I'll find it someday. <laughs> I'm going to write it at the end, all right? How's that? <laughs> Hopelessness is one of the most destructive and painful feelings in the human experience. It really is. And it must be avoided at all costs because it will destroy a man's outlook and it will destroy a man's performance. A wise man sets his hope on sure things and he, he avoids any desires or expectations for the vain things of this world that lead to despair or frustration. He, he understands human frailty and he avoids setting expectations too high and he learns contentment. That's another thing. When you have such high expectations that they cannot be attained, then... Your hope for that can never be reached, and it causes disillusionment, can cause a great deal of disappointment. Uh, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Give me that in the Amplified. Give me that in the Amplified. Thank you. Let your character or moral disposition be free from love of money, including greed and avarice, lust, cravings for earthly possessions, and be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have. For he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down. Will you look at this? Can you, can your be any more assurance than what you're seeing right here? Or let you down or relax my hold on you? Assuredly not. So we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently and boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified what man can do to me. Now that just ought to make you shout right there. You look at this. That is, God will never let you down. Why let the spirit of heaviness, regret, disappointment, disillusionment, despair... Come on, why allow that to do, to, to take hold of us and, and destroy us and take us down to, to the pits and make us think that nothing good is going to happen? We have hope, friend, no matter what. We've got hope. If my hope is in nothing good in this world, I've got a hope in heaven that is beyond comparison. Beyond anything. Now, 1 Peter 3. Now, let me... Let me, let, me, let me jump back here. I was gonna, you can get First Peter 3 and 7 and bring it up. Since hopelessness is so destructive and painful, a good man will work to keep those around him full of hope. His wife, his children, employees, friends, all of them should be kept full of hope. First Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. I've used that one here just recently. That We should, as husbands, always instill hope within our wives and our children. There is always hope to, to come home and be so frustrated and, and disillusioned, disappointed and perplexed and, and to instill that in your family. You, you raise your children to be hopeless. And we, as God's children, should have more hope than anybody on the face of the earth. And if you're a child of God, if you're a man of God of any kind, you should constantly be instilling the hope. Hey, yeah, we don't have food, we don't have money, but we got Jesus Christ. Yes, maybe I don't have a job but I got Jesus Christ. Yes, I don't have car, don't have gas, but I got Jesus Christ. I should constantly instill that within my wife. I should constantly instill that in my children. Constantly. 
That should be the most important thing for me to do. My family has to know that I believe what I preach. My family has to know that I believe Jesus can really do anything. And I let them know every day that He can and has. I did it with my children. I do it with my grandchildren. I will continue to do it to the day that I die. My friend, if I, and God forbid, if I ever get a sickness, I'm still going to look up to heaven and say, Jesus is still my hope regardless of how I'm going through right now. Praise God! If you love Proverbs, here's a classic. We can identify Solomon's three metonyms and one metaphor in his proverb. First, I spoke of this last week, hope is a metonym for the things hoped for. Hope itself is not deferred. He wasn't talking about hope being deferred. He was talking about the things you hope for being deferred. That's a metonym or delayed. The objects of hope did not arrive on time. Second, desire is a metonym for the things desired because the desire for the things was already there. You already desired them. But it was the things you desired that was being deferred. And the third one is the metonym, the heart. It is substituted for the feelings and the joys of the heart. The substitution uses the seat of your affections for the affections themselves. And there is a metaphor where desires being realized are compared to a tree of life. That's the metaphor. It's an interesting metaphor because the tree of life is in heaven. That's where the tree of life is now. It was, it was raptured out of here, out of the Garden of Eden, and taken to heaven. If you're reading in the book of Revelations, you'll see the tree of life is there. And there's, I believe, 12 manners of fruit that is eaten off the tree of life. So what he's saying here, that it's, it's the things desired when they come. It's like a tree of life. So it's, and, and I think... I've never been to heaven yet, and I can't imagine anything being as great as heaven. But to that individual on earth, when he gets that which he desires the most, it feels like a heavenly experience. And that is the metaphor that he was using here. This proverb is an observation by Solomon. And a lesson to be carefully carefully searched for within it, you know, for, for what's in that one. So while many proverbs give the lesson more directly, Basic observations like this one must be explored and applied to learn the wisdom being taught. You know, what, what can you learn about hope from this proverb? What can you learn from this proverb in order to be wiser with God men? Remember, God's words are exceedingly broad and may convey many, many varied lessons. Psalmist spoke of that in Psalm 119. So, so you look at this. this. This is a whole point in doing this study in Proverbs because they're rich. I've said this before. All of the Bible can be found in the book of Proverbs. And if you study them carefully, you'll be able to see how, what I'm speaking of. So what can we learn about hope here? The wicked have no hope, according to Ephesians 2.12. And their expectations always end in frustration. For they chase the lying delusions of Satan, who is the God of hopelessness. Look at Ephesians 2, 1 and 3. Ephesians 2, 1 and 3. Through 3. 
And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air. That's King James. Give me, uh, give me Amplified. Thank you. And you, boy, I can really lengthen it with Amplified, can I? And you, he made alive when you were dead, slain by your trespasses and sins, in which at one time you walk habitually. You were following the course and the fashion of this world. We're under the sway of the tendency of this present age. Following the prince of the power of the air, you were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience, the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who go against the purposes of God. Among these, we as well as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh, our behavior governed by our corrupt and sensual nature, obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind, our cravings dictated by our senses and our dark imaginings. We were then by nature children of God's wrath and heirs of his indignation like the rest of mankind. He knows his days are numbered, the devil and he's coming his and his coming torment is going to be great according to revelation 12:12 12, 12. he wants his dupes it's the best way of putting it hopeless with him all things in this world are disappointing and temporal which hurt those who pursue them everything that you pursue in the world is going to destroy you That's all that it will do. And Satan will do his best to keep you interested in the things of the world. Anytime you see a sense of hopelessness within people within the church, you begin to see people start going towards the world. They begin to find all they need in the world. They'll start hanging out with worldly people or worldly Christians, which to me is worse than hanging out with worldly people. Nothing worse than a hypocrite. Maybe two hypocrites. Every sin, movie, song, or thought of the world ends with the same conclusion. There's no hope. There's only despair. They try to ease uh, the pain with activities and comedies and jokes and alcohol and drugs and movies for fantasy, escapism, mind-numbing music, extreme sports for thrills, and even suicide. Then they die and discover in hell that their hopelessness was right. That's what they discover. You consider the riches. We've talked about that a lot through Proverbs. Wealth does not satisfy, for when you achieve one level, you'll covet another level. Those taking your wealth are always increasing, and the, and the rich cannot sleep peacefully. Riches disappear by many factors, and you will not take one cent with you to death, according to Luke twelve fifteen. The more you make, the more the government takes. Everybody knows that if you've worked a lot of overtime. Why set your hope on the illusion? You're only going to be disappointed, frustrated, and you're going to be vexed even that much more for the effort that you put out, and you really don't get anything. Every child of God that seeks happiness in this world will be just as miserable or worse, for he has set his expectations on things that cannot and never will satisfy. Solomon, the writer here, found everything in this world to be vanity and vexation of spirit, and that's how he placed it, how he put it. Everything. Godliness with contentment, the Bible says, is great gain, for such man has his hope in God in heaven, which is a certain hope of the prosperous saints. That is why our theme is looking to the sunset, anticipating the sunset. 
Because that is our hope, friend. This is not in the world. You're not going to find it there. You're not going to find it in worldliness. You're not going to find it in letting down in your relationship with God. You're not going to find it in in spending 20-some years or 30-some years or 40 years serving God and all of a sudden things that used to be wrong are no longer wrong. God didn't change His mind. And it's for sure that we're no smarter now than we were 40 years ago or 50 years ago. In fact, our intelligence level has decreased instead of increased. If you don't believe that, get some books that were written back in the 1800s about God and read some of them. If you don't believe that they were more intelligent, just get anything back. That's the reason I don't even read anything past 1930 much. I really don't. I refuse to because I look at some of this junk they get out there and it just does nothing but make me mad. They have dumbed down and, and anybody... I, you know, should I get in? Why not? Why not? You know, the, the, I have a tendency... And I know sometimes I overdo it. And I'm certainly not the most intelligent person, but I'd like, I like to go beyond just the average. And I've actually been accused of being hard to understand. Going like Paul, you know. Sometimes Paul's things Peter said are hard to be understood. But that didn't mean... I've been accused of that. But listen, I do not believe in insulting anybody's intelligence by trying to dumb down what I'm trying to preach. Now, am I correct or not? And if you are too dumb to understand it, forgive me. I didn't mean to call you dumb. If you are too uh, dumb uh, to understand it, then you need to listen closer. Yeah, study to show thyself approved a workman need not be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, you know that that irritates me for people. Now, and I'm not. You know, I know some new people. I understand that that they don't have all the. The, the vernacular down. They don't understand everything's being said because we've got Pentecostal uh, sayings and verbs and adverbs and, and all that kind of thing. But, but yet, on the other side of it, why, why do, should we dumb things down? Because I, I don't want to preach the same thing over and over and over again because I think that you don't get it. I know that sometimes we have to be repetitive, but we, we can through the course of a year. But not every service. So we, I, I believe we need to try to bring people up all of us, including myself, has to be brought up to a different level. And Solomon, I believe this is what Solomon was trying to do here. You know, it, this is uh, to, to instill hope within anybody. You've got to let people know that there is hope for them in every avenue. I, I believe that you can, you can understand the things of God. And then you instill that, yes, you can grow. Yes, you can improve yourself. Yes, you can understand the Word of God. Yes, you can, because that's the hope that we have to have. If I'm going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus, who is the one who uh, authored all of these words, then I should be able to understand those words. So we never should come to the point you know, we, where we think that, that you know, we can't grow. I don't want to. I don't want to be dumbed down, and I don't want anybody to think that I feel that way about them. It is. It is your wisdom to not hope for much from this world, but rather hope for much from the next. 
Therefore, you should be able to pray with auger against riches. You should be able to content, be content with little righteousness. And, and you can avoid disappointment and keep on dancing if you do not put your hope in things of this world. That's the key. How do I keep on dancing? I do not place my hope in everything that is in this world. If I'm going to keep on dancing, I'm going to have to keep looking to Jesus. Because that hope is what's going to keep me dancing. That's going to keep me rejoicing. That's going to keep me shouting. That's going to keep me singing. That's going to come. That's going to keep me clapping my hands. Why? Because my hope is there. No matter what the world does, regardless of what the world, what the devil will try to do to me, I've got a hope above everything else. Our problem is that it's been preached for years. That's, you know, it used to be preached. You know, one day things are going to be bad, and we all just shouted and hoped it was going to be that way. Oh, yeah, because we knew that Jesus was about to come when things started getting bad. Now we're into the bad times, and we're wishing we were back. This means Jesus is coming. What does that tell you? That tells you you can't play around any longer. That tells me you've got to be serious now. And if we don't get serious now, then we've got problems because we don't have a whole lot looking at us from the future. Not a whole lot of time. And if you use the Word of God to build your hope, according to Romans 15:4, others will ask a reason for it, since they have none. I don't know if I uh, gave you 1 Peter 3:15 or not. Did I? What are you doing? Sleeping up there? Oh, 1 Peter 3:15. Did I give you that? Okay, forget it. When hope is deferred, you can hope against hope through faith in an omnipotent God. And you can know you have the superior definition for hope. Patient waiting for the greatest expectation of the Christian will certainly come to pass. And that is exactly what we're doing. It's the patient waiting for the great expectation of every Christian. That is the coming of the Lord. Believers never give up. Believers never give up. Now, what are you saying? I'm saying that if you give up, you're not a believer. Believers never give up as long as they have life. The living dog is better than a dead lion. Ecclesiastes 9.4 A living dog is better than a dead lion. God removes all hope. Until, I'm sorry, I've said that wrong. Until God removes all hope, there is still hope. And even then, there is hope. Until God removes all hope, there is hope. Until God removes all hope, there's always hope. And the only time that God is going to remove all hope is when he takes the church. Because that's where all hope is based. When the church is removed, then there will be hopelessness. Complete hopelessness. David prayed fervently for his sick son, and he gave up praying when the child died. Yet he knew he would see him again. He had hope even after death. Paul was sure he would die at Ephesus, but hoped in resurrection. And 2 Corinthians 1.8, The Bible is filled with glorious examples of simple believers who put their expectation and hope in the Lord. Did Sarah give birth and nurse with a smile long after menopause? Yes, she did. How much was Joseph a tree of life to Jacob when he discovered him alive on Egypt's throne? How many children did Hannah have for loaning her long-desired son to the Lord? 
And Israel was like them that dream after being recovered from captivity. Psalm 126, verses 1 through 3. It'll come up in the Amplified. I won't stop to read it. Yet there is a great illustration, of, or a greater illustration of fulfilled hope. For 4,000 long years, the sons of God waited for the arrival of the seed of the woman to deliver them from sin, death, and hell. The desire of all nations did come. Do you hear me? For how many years? 4,000 years. Long years they awaited. That tells me that regardless of how long the time frame may be, God will not fail in His Word. There is always hope. If He told me He's coming again, then He's coming again. If He told me He's going to heal, then He's going to heal. It may not come in the time that I would like for it to come, but that does not change the fact that it will come. Yeah, He's going to do a great work in His people, the church, and there is nothing the world, the devil, or any unbeliever can ever possibly do to change that. Praise God! The angel shook the countryside with the announcement. Simeon rejoiced to see him before his death. And his disciples believed not for joy when he had risen gloriously from the dead. Hope in God today. Our hope in God is today. Listen to me. It's today. God will take care of your needs today. God will take care of your needs today. God will take care of your needs today. You need to keep telling yourself that. Build that hope. Build that faith. Believe God is going to do it and He will do it. I promise you that. That I have never been more sure of anything in my life. The church is going up. The people in God's church, in McCormick's Creek Church, they're going to do well. They're going to prosper. They're going to have heaviness lifted off them. That is the hope that we're going to keep instilling until the Lord comes back. If you're committed to Jesus Christ, you have a blessed hope, an impregnable hope, a glorious hope. You will be raised from the dead to an incorruptible inheritance in heaven where it is reserved for you. Believe, believe, believe. And if you have this hope, it will purify, sanctify your life, and it will be an anchor for your soul in the storms of life. None that put their trust in Him shall ever be ashamed or confounded. Children can be taught to hope in the Lord when they're very young. Look at 1 Samuel 1.28 in the Amplified. 1 Samuel 1.28. Therefore I have given... No, it's King James. Go to the Amplified. Is that it? That's Proverbs 13 and 13. 1 Samuel. Okay. Therefore I have given him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is given to the Lord and they worship the Lord. There, notice this. Therefore I have given him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is given to the Lord and they worship the Lord there. That hope can be instilled at an early age. That's why it's so important to give them to God at an early age. When you come up here and do a baby dedication, it shouldn't be something to be done so that the baby can have a pretty dress on. Oh, you're not hearing me. You're not. No, no, no. You're not hearing me. It's not something to do to get pictures for. That's all good. That's fine. But there's more to it than that. It should be in your heart that you're dedicating that child to God. You're dedicating so that that child will live for God all the days of their life. That's the important thing. That's the important thing. True love. 
comforts others by building hope and taking away despair. And since hopelessness is one of life's greatest evils, now I want you to follow this. Hopelessness is one of life's greatest evils. You should be faithful in all your dealings to keep from making others' hearts sick. Do you hear me? Did you get that? You should be careful how you deal with people. Words that you say. Poor old Adam is all upset because someone keeps calling him and telling him that he that he's heard that he's going to be the next pastor this next year. I don't know if, you, if some of you are going to assassinate me. Somebody got a bullet with my name on it? Maybe they're prophesying. I don't know. But I'm planning on being here for a long time. I'm not going anywhere. I like getting up here and haranguing people. I like being a pastor. Poor old brother Fox, and you know, it just gets to the point. It just lets you know. You mean the old guys are the only ones up here? Got all these young preachers around. Where, is, where are they? You know, it's just us old guys. You better hang on to the old guys. They're the only ones got anything going for them. So be careful. That you don't make somebody's heart sick. God specifically commands you not to discourage those under you. Colossians 3.19, 1 Peter 3.7, 2 Corinthians 2.6. After edifying others by your faithfulness, you should then comfort them with the blessed hope of the gospel. That's the hope right there. That's the hope. Aren't you glad you know him? That was just one proverb. Wow, what can I do? I want to use all my time. <clears throat> Proverbs 13:13 13, 13. Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed but he that feareth the commandment shall be rewarded Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed but he that feareth the commandment shall be rewarded What's the amplified say Will you get that King James off there Poor old Chelsea Bless her heart That's it one thing about her, she gets it going here. Whoever despises the word and counsel of God brings destruction upon himself. But he who reverently fears and respects the commandment of God is rewarded. How great is the difference between being destroyed and being rewarded? How much greater when the Lord does both the destroying and the rewarding? The difference is enormous, but the, the conditions for being rewarded are clear and easy. Uh, and And... You know, it, it, God, God never does anything for us or to us unless he allows us to understand. I, I've always believed that. So we just need to thank God uh, in understanding. Because if you despise his word, you will be destroyed. If you fear his word, you will be blessed. And that's what he's saying here. If you fear his word, reverence the word, not be terrified of it, reverence the word, then you will be blessed. It's the person who despises his word, doesn't listen to it. And you'll know someone. I don't care how much someone gives lip service to how much they believe the Bible. If you read a passage of Scripture in the Bible to them and you put it in perspective and you look at two or three Scriptures that agree with it and you put it in perspective and they still will not, they will not accept that, then that person despises the Word. Now, I don't care what anybody or what they would say, they despise it. If you put it in perspective, you rightly divide it and they will not accept it, then they despise it. The God of heaven is holy and he's jealous, according to Joshua twenty four nineteen, 
And he will not forgive or overlook those who despise or reject his word. And since he's a creator of all things, including every man, woman, and child, he expects their total submission and obedience to him. His first commandment justly demands your absolute and total love for him. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. And the Amplified Chelsea. Thank you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Probably about the same. The only Lord. I like that part. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your mind and heart and with your entire being and with all your might. That pretty much says it, doesn't it? That pretty much says it with all your might. About 1,650 years ago, according to my calculations, I was alive back then. Did you know that? Probably believe it, don't you? Year, this is 1,650 years after creation, or about 4,400 years ago. God drowned and suffocated the earth with a flood of water. Now, what brought his great destruction on the earth and the human family? The question. They, they had despised his word. They had corrupted his way on the earth. And they, he sent Noah to preach and warn them, but they rebelled against the commandments of the Creator. So what did he do? He destroyed them. God sent another preacher to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about 3,530 years ago. The Hebrews, worshipers of the living and true God, were slave laborers for Pharaoh. Moses brought God's request for Pharaoh to let his people go to Canaan. When Pharaoh despised the word, God ravaged the land with ten plagues, destroyed his army and him in the Red Sea. So I believe the lesson of this particular proverb is very clear. Very clear. King Ahab despised the word of the Lord, so God destroyed him in battle with a chance arrow. King Uzziah despised God's word that only the priests were to serve in the temple, so God destroyed him with leprosy. King Jehoiakim thought he could burn the word of God and get rid of its warning, so God destroyed him and his family and gave them a burial of a donkey. I won't say it in the words that the Bible says. But the proverb also promises reward to those who fear God's commandments. This is not servile terror, but rather eager reverence to know and to do His will. And though the Lord God is very great, He will bless and reward those who humbly tremble before His word. Look at Acts 17, verse 11. I'll come up behind me here. I won't stop to read it. Fearing God and keeping His commandments is the whole duty of man, Ecclesiastes 12. But there is also a great reward in keeping those commandments. You, you understand that uh, fearing God and keeping His commandments, the whole duty of man, but there's a reward, in, uh, a reward also in keeping them. So God doesn't just, it, it's a reward for doing what you're supposed to do. God rewards His people for doing what is right. I, I don't really think sometimes, and maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I, I'm wrong on this, but I really don't believe that people know what God or how God rewards them over and over and over again for keeping His commandments. Even in the face of a great, great adversity, when someone continues to serve and to keep God's commandments and do right in spite of it all, in spite of what you're around, in spite of the fact that someone who sits next to you on the pew is doing something completely wrong, you continue to serve God the right way. God rewards you for that. There is a lot, a lot of rewards. There's, there's great things that God gives you, and sometimes we don't even see them. We don't even realize what God is doing in our life. 
Sometimes we don't know. You know, we, we're, we're continuing to work when other people are not. You know, we, we, don't even, we don't even understand that God is rewarding us. Or, or, you know, something small that maybe seems small to us, but to other people is something large. God is rewarding us. So we, you know, we, we have some great opportunities and great chances to, to be rewarded. Fearing God, keeping His commandments. You know, that is the whole duty, but he, there is reward along with that, which God's saints have experienced in all circumstances, such as Abram and, and Canaan. There's a good example. Isaac and Canaan, Joseph in Egypt, Ruth in Bethlehem, Rehoboam in Jerusalem, Manasseh in Babylon, and, and Esther in Shushan, and Daniel in Babylon. What, what have you done? Now think about this. What have you done? And I don't believe anybody in here is, is subject to this, but on the other side of it, at one time, maybe you have been. But what have you done with the preachers that God has sent your way? People that have preached from his pulpit, not just me, but others that have. have you know, Paul warned against despising prophesyings or preachings in First Thessalonians 5.20. And he foretold irremediable judgment on those who despise or neglect the, the preaching of God's Word in Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, 10, 26. And, and it, it is your duty, solemn duty, if you would, and, and great reward to fear the Word of the Lord. And, and that, that lesson, that is what that proverb is all about, to fear God's Word and God's men to, to listen to what they're trying to say to you so your life can be better. That's the purpose in all of it. Proverbs thirteen fourteen. The law of the wise is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. You know, I've been working on a, a message. Uh, I'm going back to what I just said, but I've been working on a message when the harp loses its power. And in this sense here, you know, we, we know that, that David... Uh, when when Saul broke the commandment of God, he brought back Agag and, and all of them when he's supposed to destroy all of them. He brought back the king. And uh, Samuel came up to him and told him that the Spirit of the Lord would depart from him. The Spirit of the Lord departed from him. And an evil spirit came in as a result of his disobedience. And the only thing that could help and soothe him was a shepherd boy and a harp. You know, I could preach on singing with that. But it's more than just the anointed singing. And that was an anointed singing that, that, uh, that David did. But it's also anointed words, anointed preaching. It's a message that's going forth. That is why sometimes it, you, know, you get people that come into the church and they love our music and our singing because it runs out and soothes the evil spirit. That's why they love it. Now, the spirit doesn't like that. It soothes it. But to get rid of that thing takes something a little bit more force. But it's anointing. But in some people's lives, and the same thing happened to Saul, there came a day when the singing of, of the women of Jerusalem, Saul has killed his thousands, but David's killed his ten thousands. came a time when the harp lost its power, when he slung a javelin, at David. Think about what I'm saying. Don't ever let the harp lose its power in your life. Don't let the preached word of God, the worship, don't ever let it lose its power. Because something can come along and you can get offended 
You can get your heart hurt. I don't know why I'm saying this, but I feel like saying it. And before long, you're up there slinging javelins. And when it loses its power, there's no place for you to go but down. There's no other answers. You understand what I'm saying? If it ever loses its power and it cannot gain it back at all, there is no other answers. Jesus Christ was crucified one time, and when, it, when that message no longer touches you, then something is lost in your life and lost. Now, I said all that, and I'm going to get to this. Do you resent being told what to do? When a parent, teacher, or pastor gives you a law, it is for your own good. Be thankful. Consider it a fountain of life. Their laws are to bless your life and save you from trouble. No one by nature likes to be told what to do, but a noble person recognizes that wise laws are for his benefit. Ponce de Leon sought the fountain of youth in order to live longer. Laws from wise men are the fountain of life in order to live better. They will save you from the snares of death, which are traps of sinful living, bringing misery and destruction. If you're wise, you will never resent the correction of any wise teacher. Never. Why do parents have rules against playing in the street? Because they want their child to live and not be killed by a vehicle. Should a child resent such a rule? No. So why do parents restrict activities with the opposite sex? Because they want their children to have good marriages without the scar of fornication. In each case, a parent parental law is a blessing. If you're smart, you'll appreciate laws given by those wiser than you. And if you desire success in life, you'll accept and obey rules given to prosper and protect you. You will grasp the importance of learning from the wisdom of others. And you will remember that laws they impose are to bless your life and to guard you from death. Why do nations have traffic laws? Schools have weapons rules. Factories have safety laws. The military have authority rules. Airlines have maintenance laws. And electric appliances have user rules. Because the laws and rules are given to protect the user from danger and death. And they are given to provide sufficient guidance for great success. That's why. What causes you to resent rules? You think you know better? You know the teacher is not perfect? The rule restricts your freedom. The giver is too pushy. You think it is just a matter of opinion. You were not born yesterday. In all these cases, you're being foolish, for the law was given to help and protect you, not please or enrich the giver. It proves wisdom to accept instruction and correction. Only fools and scorners resent rules. How can you learn more laws of the wise? Trust your parents who lived their life before you. Seek a multitude of counselors for major decisions. Crave your pastor's preaching as he gives forth God's laws and read the Bible to know the rules of wisdom to bless your life and protect you from death. The Word of God is a lamp and a light for your life and is able to clean up the lives of young men for success, according to Psalm 119.9. Next week we'll start Proverbs 13, verse 17. Proverbs 13, verse 17, I said I would try to be good and be around the 8.30 so that you could, you know, I love you people so much. You know, I say, I'm going to let you out at 8.30. You still hang around the 9.30. But no one can point their finger at me and say that I, you know, it's my fault, right? <laughs> well, it's like this, though. If I let you out at 9, you probably hang around the 10. So, And some wise people will get in their cars and go home and go to bed. Anybody say amen? amen. All right, all right. I'm trying to be good. Do you appreciate that, brothers?
All right, thank you. Thank you very much. I got one person to say it. Let's stand and lift our hands to the Lord right now together. Father, we thank you for every blessing, your goodness, your mercy. Move upon us, strengthen us, protect us, bless us financially, bless us in our jobs and our marriages. God, I pray, bless our children and strengthen them, I ask right now in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Lord bless you.